0: Good morning and welcome to the latest edition of Around the World in 20 Minutes. This is John Halsman reporting in on the predictable efforts, sad but predictable, of the liberal neoconservative interventionists to save their skins and most importantly their ideology because they want to keep doing nation building forever. Uh, This really to start with, and I'm going to lay out the case against this, and I can't believe that I have to But to read the Foreign Policy Commentariat, where there is some debate, the majority view is still that intervening in countries in which the United States or the West have no primary national interests is worth it. And I'm reading this over and over again as these folks try to scramble to save their reputations, and more importantly, their efforts to do this again and again and again. So let me calmly lay out the case that really shouldn't have to be laid out to any thinking human being. First, the empirical data. This conforms to Einstein's definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing over and over again and failing abjectly, and then expecting a different result. It's a bit like Charlie Brown in the football with Lucy, that every time she assures him the football will be there and he can kick it, every time she pulls it away, and then she says, next time will be different, and he does that. That is why Charles Schultz is an existential genius. Unfortunately, the unreflective neocons in the United States, the Bill Crystals, the Max Boots, the Ann Applebombs of the world, uh, don't seem to see sense and are somehow saying the rest of us just needed to stay longer in Afghanistan and all would have been well. I really wonder at what point this argument doesn't pass the laugh test. After a trillion dollars and 20 years and 2,500 American casualties, I don't think you can say we didn't try. Rather, the record and the broader record in Somalia, where we cut and ran, Haiti, where we intervene constantly, the United States and the place is a voodoo-riven economic basket case that is a profile in constant depressing corruption. We have Iraq. Do I need to go on there? We have Afghanistan and we have Libya, which, as Barack Obama rightly says, was the stupidest thing he ever did, prodded into action by the EU who wanted to use the American army to somehow stabilize its southern flank. Predictably, we got rid of bad guy Gaddafi and instead of a bad guy, we got chaos. Chaos that has led to all kinds of migration problems and led to ISIS going into Libya. We took a bad situation and we made it worse. And yet, despite Somalia, Haiti, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Libya, we never learn. These unreflective dolts must all be fired from their jobs because, again, I have the naive, radical Jeffersonian view that we should be judged on the results of our analysis. And if that's the case, Max Boot, Bill Kristol, and Applebaum, Daniel Finkelstein of the Times. None of these guys will ever have jobs again, because bottom line, they have failed over and over again, and that is empirically the truth. It's time we reflect on the data outputs and reach a a conclusion that makes sense. So empiricism would lead you to say, this should never be done again. The second thing is that they seem to not understand the basic problem is that imperialism doesn't work when you don't have a fully-fledged empire and gain no balance from it. States throughout history, and here I am a standard, card-carrying realist, a leading one, certainly only move forward and commit to things that are in their national interest in the long run. And the problem, if you look at Somalia, Haiti, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Libya, is they have one basic thing in common, despite being incredibly different places. And that one thing is that none of them matter very much strategically or geostrategically to the United States. Who runs them or who's in charge? Certainly, they don't qualify for 20 years and a trillion dollars. And in fact, when I went home to sell my book, Uh, To dare more boldly, the best laugh line I got when people would question Iraq would be, I would simply say, do you want your trillion dollars back? Yes or no? Does the United States, can we put better use to that trillion dollars than what happened in Iraq? And everyone across the country, it was a national book tour, would invariably laugh. Of course, that money wasn't well spent. And of course, we need it for reasons in the United States. The onus has to be on the nation builders to sell why what they're doing is in the American national interest. If it is, then we can have a discussion about doing it. If it's not, as all five of these cases palpably make clear, we simply shouldn't do it, both because it's not in our interest to do it and because there will never be the commitment taken. Because it's not in our interests to stay long enough to make the changes. We're not the Romans. We're not going to have their elite intermarry with ours, stay 300 years, and remake their society. We're only going to stay places like Japan and Germany that are in our primary American interests, where what we did makes perfect sense. But the big five and this promiscuous use of nation-building everywhere in the liberal neocon ideology must be done away with and now, because it just doesn't, it will never work. It's utopian to expect America to expend blood and treasure for areas of which they know nothing and which don't matter over much to the running of the American-inspired world. That's just a fact. The third thing that's seeing these guys finally out the door, despite their utter unreflectiveness and continuing to say, do the same thing over and over again despite its failure, is that the world is structurally changed. I think the unipolar moment, that brief moment after the collapse of the Cold War, but before the international financial crisis and 9-11 led us into these stupid decisions, that brief decade. The United States is the only superpower in the world could indulge in such frivolities because there were no other peer competitors to worry about. You can worry about humanitarian intervention when you have nothing else significant to think through. But that's not the world we live in anymore. We now live in a world where China is a pure competitor, where at the top level, the Sino-American Cold War is going to dominate the world that we live in and where this is the new defining feature of our era. But beneath it, we also have a number of great powers that have a lot more room for maneuver than they used to. The EU, Japan, India, Russia, the Anglosphere all can say no to both Russia, uh, sorry, to both China and the United States and play us off one another. Whenever they wish to. So that's a very different world than a world where America has basically a Pax Americana for for 10 years and we can worry about nation building in Haiti or Somalia where we have no interest. That world is simply gone and people are not prepared to make frivolous sacrifices anymore. Of course, then again, this leads me to the Germany Japan example and to Lawrence of Arabia, which was our last podcast. When we work with local cultures, as we did in Germany, we told them to be capitalist. We told them to be decentralized. This is German history. They organically understand this. In Japan, MacArthur says, I'm the new shogun. I've won the internal battles. We kick the emperor upstairs to a titular position. We start top-down agrarian reform, and then we let the society boom. This was the tradition of the Tokugawa shogunate in the Meiji Restoration. In other words, this wasn't news to the people on the ground. This is how their world worked. And as a result, the nation building efforts worked beyond the fact that they both are primary interests. Japan and Germany are central to American thinking in Europe and Asia, respectively. And that's why we are still there, because they are obviously worth it to both Democrats, Republicans, independents in a way that Somalia, Haiti, Afghanistan, Iraq and Libya Never will be, but we worked in a Lawrence of Arabia way with cultures, not against them. In the cases of Somalia, Haiti, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Libya, we don't have states that are functioning, and so we apply a paint-by-numbers. These are decentralized, chaotic areas, so let's make them utterly centralized. Anybody who knows Edmund Burke, using constantly garden analogies, knows this won't work. If you graft a plant onto foreign soil, it dies. And that's precisely what happened. A more decentralized confederal approach would have been far better in any of the cases. But instead, we did the paint by numbers. Let's over, overly centralize them. Let's try to create George Washington out of water. Let's make something highly centralized that fell apart in the first place, with ever looking at the forces that lead it to constantly fall apart. So even at the practical level, this didn't work. Again, all of this and Biden taking the hideous in the paper, though, again, 49% approve of what he's doing, which is a plurality in favor. This won't hurt Biden politically at all in the United States. He's kept his promise. The progressive wing of his own party will love what he's done. Foreign policy is not a reason people vote. And so the commentariat will wring their hands. But there's no, none, zero sign that this will have domestic political ramifications or President Biden in any way. And indeed, he's following the policy put in place by Donald Trump and dreamed of by Barack Obama, though he knuckled under to the generals. Um, What this does is allow the United States to pivot to what does matter, which is the Sino-American Cold War, which is the game here. Great power competition now is going to dominate the world we live in. The time for sideshows is over, particularly frustrating frustrating sideshows that deliver so little. Everyone is on board, the Sino-American Cold War being what needs to be done. And we can't keep wasting trillions of dollars and decades of the American military's time when we have to take advantage of what is a very favorable alliance system. In Asia, China has so scared the horses by their bellicose behavior that the U.S. is closer to Japan, closer to India, closer to South Korea, closer to ASEAN closer to even Vietnam, for goodness sake, than it ever has been. Investing diplomatic time and effort and strategic time and effort in the region that has all the world's future growth and all the world's future risk just makes sense. So the idea of doing these sideshows, I think time and reality has taken care of, despite the mulings of the liberal neoconservative elite to save themselves. So I think that this is key. And then... I want to make a last point that they're constantly bringing up, which needs to go away. Interventionism is not synonymous with American leadership. Indiscriminately military invading chaotic areas is not a sign of America being the global policeman. Instead, the global policeman has to prioritize what he does. The ordering power has to decide what's vital, this is where realism is great, what's vital in a primary interest, what's secondary and you might like to get done, and what's tertiary, meaning what in a perfect world you would do but pretty much can't. And that's what we have happening here. The United States is making that decision. Asia and the Indo-Pacific are everything. Nation building, which has failed in Somalia, Haiti, Afghanistan, and Iraq, and Libya, is nothing, but they cannot and do not let them do the magic trick to keep their precious unwarranted careers going. That leadership, in quotes, is indiscriminately militarily intervening in sideshows, they are not the same thing. Leadership will be forming an alliance structure in Asia through the quad, through trade through bilateral and multilateral and regional institutions to try to deter and contain Chinese aggression and leave in place the world that we so love. That is the game. And leadership is acknowledging that, is prioritizing in a triage-like way what matters, what would be nice, and what in a perfect world you would have. In a perfect world, we would spend 100 years and trillions of dollars for women's rights in Afghanistan. But practically, is that worth the life of a single American soldier? I would argue not. It's time we worry about those American soldiers, put them into harm's way only as a last resort and not fighting wars of choice. That is immoral. That is unethical. Not the United States withdrawing from this wish list that doesn't understand how the world really works. I'm delighted that President Biden bit the bullet. Of course, this was handled horribly. The way this was planned, in quotations, is a farce. No one disagrees or isn't dismayed by that. But leadership is about making choices. And Biden has strategically, finally, after 20 years, made the right one. But we, the rest of us, must kill forever stone dead the liberal neoconservative vampire that interventionism is somehow, for very, very minor stakes, geostrategically, is synonymous with American leadership. Leadership is sometimes saying no, not promiscuously saying less, yes, and frittering away American power, which is what we've done. We need to now concentrate on what matters precisely to maintain American leadership in the world, and we must run these guys out of town on a rail who've given nothing but death and destruction and failed policy over and over again empirically. A fact they cannot re- refute, which is a list which is one thing. Somalia, Haiti, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Libya, what do they have in common? Abject failure, costing lives, at tremendous cost, leaving chaos, death, and destruction in our wake. That is not ethical. Rather, we need to go back to what Anatole Levin and I wrote in our book, Ethical Realism which is combining ethics with what we can do. And I would end by looking at Reinhold Niebuhr, a great American theologian and thinker, who I found out as I researched that book is responsible for the serenity prayer of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think that idea is key, that we recognize the things we cannot do and have the wisdom to also see that there are things that we can do, but we must know the difference between the two. We cannot do everything. That is not a failure in leadership. That is wisdom. That is not a call to do nothing, but to pivot to the Indo-Pacific, beat the Chinese, which is the only threat to the world we live in, and give to our children a world better than the one that we found. To do so, we must kill the liberal, neoconservative interventionist ideology, stone dead and forever, and not let them escape the consequences of their ruinous ideology. Proven wrong over and over again. Thank you very much for listening. I enjoyed getting that off my chest, as you can see. For those of you out there who, have already, who haven't subscribed, please do subscribe to John's newsletter. If you enjoy the podcast, the Patrick Henry podcast, the serialization of the books, um, or the articles that we're writing, Please do subscribe. And for those of you who have subscribed for free, please do upgrade because we want to keep doing this for you as often as we are. And this is becoming an obsession with me to make this site as wonderful as we possibly can. I'm diverting more and more energy to it, which is delightful. But to do so, I need you to give forward your end of this, which is frankly about $7 a month, the price of a Starbucks to give you the content that we are and to keep going with the creative cutting edge and hopefully entertaining content. I'm certainly enjoying working with you all and have loved and been so excited that so many of you have signed on board. But please do consider upping that contribution to just $7, the price of a Starbucks a month. I promise you that will taste better. Thanks very much.